You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. We're back. It's been a while, but we're back. Um, before we get into it, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us some questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Shotgun, there has been a lot that has been, it's gone down since we've been away. There's I know we, we weren't in here last Thursday because, I don't know, something about, you know, Aboriginal people and... You know, people coming over from a different land and they had a big feast or something, right? Something like that. I think so, maybe. I think that's the the nice version of what happened. But yes, Thanksgiving happened. Oh, Thanksgiving. That's what they call it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I got some true. pecan pie out of it, so it was dope. Dope. Yeah. So, but Also lot- broke our microwave, too, but whatever. That's another story for another day. A lot has happened. Things are happening as we are doing this podcast. So, full disclosure... Right now, we're filming on a Thursday afternoon. This Earlier today is when the Cliff Kingsbury thing started happening. We reported that it was a done deal. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic said, eh, pump the brakes. So right now, we're kind of in a flux. USC hasn't said either way. So right now, that's up in the air. But there have been coaching changes. Four coaches are now gone, making it five total if you include Neil Calloway. We're going to get into that. We're going to have a lot to talk about, Shotgun. I'm I'm already exhausted from this day to begin with. Okay, so recap. First off, we have Kanishi Desi. He let's start with Neil Calloway. Neil Calloway. Well, that's a so your offensive line is open. It's open, but Tim Drono has kind of been in the waiting. Uh Then Tuesday uh, in the morning, Kanishi Desi tweets out that he's not no longer with the team. That was surprising. Um, And then you have Ronnie Bradford. He tweets out. That he's no longer with the team. And then we have, uh, we uh, reported that T. Martin was no longer a part of the team. That was also surprising. And then a day before on Monday, uh, Brian Ellis, quarterback's coach, is leaving to be offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky with new head coach Tyson Helton. So two former USC quarterback coaches are now at Western Kentucky. So a lot, a lot of movement happening over there. What, what, are you, what were your general reactions to all the movements? There was rumors about Clancy Pendergast being gone as well. Yeah. So, you know, trying to sift through all the information, get everything, uh, you know, filtered through and get the information out there. It was a, it was kind of a hectic day, and it's kind of a Black Tuesday, I guess you would call it, for USC. Was it Tuesday? Yeah, it was Tuesday. Uh, you know, with everything going on, um, you expected there to be change. You know, you, when you get the Lynn Swan announcement on on Sunday, Sunday. morning, you know, we expected him to come back. That's what, you know, we said it on our site for the, you know, I did, you did. I think everyone except for Dan and our little predictions that we had after the game. Um, so we pre- predicted he was going to be coming back. We didn't know if there would be an official announcement uh, for sure. But on Sunday morning at about 10 a.m., uh, Lynn Swan, the school sends out this announcement. He's coming back. Okay, so now you got to get through that. You know, you're dealing with in the, the comments he had in that, thing what that basically everything had to be changed we know that things have to be changed and it was culture it was personnel like it, it, it was so you basically knew that there were going to be changed especially when clay helton has been bringing up the the notre dame you know turn their season turn, had a bad season turn things around the next year you know and, they, and then this year they're in the playoff well notre dame fired basically everyone on the staff except for brian kelly so you expected that there was going to be changes on the staff and so you're kind of waiting on it. When's it going to happen? The sooner the better for, for USC because then you can get the, the new guys in potentially and get to recruiting because that's going to be big. And you saw that it actually played out on Sunday night. There were guys – Monday night there were guys out on you know uh, taking in-home visits with recruits, and those guys were gone a couple of days later. That's the world of coaching, though, because you know what's Clay Helton? You know if the decision hasn't been made official, or you know he doesn't, he's still on the fence about somebody. Maybe are you going to say, "Hey, don't go out there Sunday. Just stay right here." And then you're like, "Why?" And you're like, "Well, yeah." So, you, so you, if the decision is not made yet, you just continue as as business is. So that's why you saw some of those coaches out there. I know some people were kind of upset about that and that felt that that was treated wrong. But that's just the business. Coaches understand that. Um, so. It's it's not like 
you're getting told to, hey, you're going to go on a 14-day caravan around you know somewhere, but in the middle of it, they fire you. It's not like that. It, it's just business as usual there. So just trying to sift through everything. The coaches are doing the same. You know, when the news comes to them, you know, however they're receiving the information from their agent or from Clay Helton or however it is, you know, and then they go to their next step. All right, now what am I going to do next? So it was similar for us. You know, we're trying to figure out all the information. The coaches are doing the same, and they're trying to figure out who is going to be on the staff with them, the ones that are remaining. So it was it was just kind of a hectic couple of days. And I mean, we expected there to be change, but it, it, it kind of all came down on a bad day for me, at least. <laughs> Always about you, Shotgun, isn't it? Of course. No, but I think it was interesting how, I mean, Clay Helton started talking about the Notre Dame method after the Cal loss. And the thing that always struck me was that he always talked about the results of what Notre Dame did, but he never really talked about what they did to get there. You know, and I had talked to Dan Weber after the Cal loss, and I was like, if you're a USC assistant, what's going through your mind right now? Because if he just mentioned what he's going to do, the method, it's essentially a job notice, you know? So I'm just curious the behind the scenes and the, and the the thought process, if you're one of USC's coaches. Um, But as far as what you said, Lynn Swan said, we acknowledge and understand our deficiencies in areas that include culture, discipline, schemes, personnel, and staff, which (laughs) Ryan Abraham said, Oh, just those, those few things. Yeah. So just culture, just discipline, just schemes, just personnel, just staff. That's basically everything. But you're going to stick with Clay Helton anyway. Clay Helton's a guy, but all these things are messed up. So that, that I mean, you understand there's deficiencies. How big are those deficiencies? Maybe they don't think they're that big. Whereas we think there's a big issue with the culture, at least I do, with uh, the discipline, with all the penalties. The schemes, there's definitely some issues on offense. Maybe that's figured out with the Cliff Kingsbury coming in, potentially. The personnel, I don't know that the personnel is an issue. That's the one thing where I don't think there is. Now, maybe you think... Coaching personnel or... No, because the next thing is staff. Okay. So personnel is saying, hey, the players, we don't have the right players. I don't think that's the issue. I don't think so either. Unless you're going to say, hey, we don't feel that these players are buying in or whatever it may be in that regard, and you feel like we have too many prima donnas or we have too many people that want to whatever. I guess that's what you're saying there. Because I don't know how you can say the personnel is not good when you have so many four and five star guys on the team. You have you know uh, all Americans out of high school, you know all over the field. You got guys that are going to be draft picks going in the NFL. Um, so I don't know why that was in there. That that was probably the. I mean that sentence by itself is kind of like whoa. That's yeah. the sentence you're throwing in there, and then to have personnel in there is like whoa. You're throwing it on the players too. So that 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 sentence definitely stood out, and that portion of the sentence stood out to me. True. Could you th- do you think it could be Lynn Swan alluding to maybe like a Bubba Bolden situation or a Levi Jones situation? Ah, uh, you know, I, there's no telling with Lynn Swan because True. well, Lynn Swan's not going to sit down and talk and have a press conference and talk about things because why would he do that as an athletic director who's supposed to do those type of things? I don't know. <sighs> I think we should just get into stock up, stock down because sure. there's a lot of things we're talking about, but we'll we'll get to it then. Stock up, who you got? Uh, I'm going to start with Michael Pittman Jr. You know, he's coming back next year and the potential of being in a Cliff Kingsbury offense, if that does play out to be, I think that's huge for him. I think he could put up huge numbers. I think the fact that he was healthy almost the entirety of the season is good for his stock after he'd been banged up his first two seasons. I think if he comes back, I think he can have a monster year next year. I think they used him better. I think his connection with JT Daniels was much better the second half of the season. I mean, he put up some really big numbers in those three games in a row before he got injured. So uh, I think he's a guy that could really boost himself from where he is right now and the potential if he were to leave early to where he is next year at the end of the year. I think him coming back could be a big stock up for him. Yeah, in the same vein, I had USC's wide receiving core in general. Mm. I think uh, Helton did mention in his last Saturday night or Sunday night uh, conference call that all the offensive weapons are returning. So that stays holds true that you get a Tyler Vaughn's, a Michael Pittman back, and then of course Almond Ross St. Brown. I think experience always helps, and those guys I think definitely needed more experience than we thought, given just how there were some some moments where we we're like, okay, they should have caught that ball or something like that. So I think having that experience, it's only going to help you next season. Having that chemistry with JT Daniels is only going to help you next season, especially if you have a new offensive scheme, a better scheme. You, who knows what this wide receiving core will do. Granted, they will be without T. Martin, and we'll get to that later, but it'll be interesting to see how they perform next season. Yep, definitely. Uh, another stock up I got is Jordan McMillan. 
How about this kid coming in, walk on? What is he like? Seventeenth string safety to start the season. He was actually a linebacker at Loyola, and they converted him to safety. You know, he wasn't going to be big enough to play linebacker at, at the Division One level, but they they saw something in him. They said, "Hey, you're going to be a preferred walk on. We'll bring you in. You'll have a chance to learn the safety position." Well, he he learned for a year, but then he got thrown in at the end of the, end of the season. Uh, so he was in there for the last couple of games in the Cal game on some special teams and stuff. He gets thrown in because Jonathan Lockett gets injured. USC was just absolutely decimated at the safety position throughout the season, but particularly the last week, Marvell Tell's not able to go. C.J. Pollard had a stomach bug. He was not able to play. So now you have a Jenna Harris who has moved from nickel back to safety. He's, he's back there, so he's the veteran now of, of four games, I think it is. And then you have Chase Williams, a true freshman who – Came in as a cornerback. They put him at, you know, started him at nickelback. So now they move him to safety. So you got two nickelbacks turned safeties that are your safeties there. And I thought they played really well. Chase and, Williams was on my stock up. And then, and you also have Jonathan Lockett, uh, you know, playing that nickelback spot. Um, but, uh, you know, they were using Chase Williams a lot in the nickel. You know, they're, they're kind of moving those guys around, using them in different ways. Chase Williams was blitzing a ton in that, in that game. Um, so, but Jonathan Lockett, injures his hip right before halftime. Jordan McMillan ends up coming in for him when they go to their dime, their, I mean, their nickel packages and stuff, when they have uh, five defensive backs on there, which they changed some things up. They did this less in the second half because of their personnel. But he gets an interception. I tweeted right before that that USC's defense wasn't going to you know, get a huge uh, – weren't going to be able to stop them over and over. The offense wasn't going to drive the length of the field. They needed somebody to make a game-changing type of play. And I said someone needs to be step up and be a five star. It just tr- it proved <laughs> to be a five star walk on uh, in Jordan McMillan. He's a guy that you know I, I think just from looking at him this season and how he's progressed in that safety spot, he's a guy that could end up earning a scholarship down the road in a couple of years. Um, but great to see him get the interception. You know, in a bad throw by Ian Book in the, in the traffic. I don't know where he was trying to go with that. Didn't really make sense. Triple coverage basically over there for USC. But he, he comes down with it. The ball was like it was not an easy interception because the ball was kind of like thrown thrust against his body and he just traps it there and took it. But then to see the reaction of all the players on the sideline was great. You know, everyone, all the other walk-ons were super hyped up for him <laughs> for sure. All the special teams guys that you know they hang out. You know, the the young guys, the freshmen were there. Raymond Scott was you know super excited for him. You see Isaiah Polamau back there. You know, slap him on the head. Pali and Itiote when he came off the field, those two guys had a big hug and. They Clancy Pendergast comes over so it was great to see that was the the one good moment out of that game yeah that's definitely like a Rudy type moment of course USC's offense didn't do anything with it but it was such a great moment and shouts to the the pylon cam you really got a good angle of of the catch he made Um, but it was definitely a great moment so stock up for me on Chase Williams but also stock up for the future given I'm putting a spin on this here Stock up, and this was something that Christian Rector, I believe, actually told Mm -hmm. you, stock up about the injuries in the sense that it got a lot of players um, experience that they normally wouldn't have. So granted, it was really messed up how much injuries and and the weirdness of the safety position and how that seemed almost cursed and just the injuries in general on the defense. But in a way, look at how many guys got experience. Look at how many guys showed potential that in Clancy's system maybe you wouldn't normally see. So it's good to see that USC has potential there, has some young guys who really showed some heart um, in getting thrown in there. I know Chase Williams told Chris Trevino he just he treated it like a Tuesday practice and just played his heart out, and that's what he did. So stock up for all of that. Yeah, and Christian Rector, I, I talked with him, and I was basically asking him about you know the devastating injuries they had. I mean, they had significant players get injured uh, in, in bad times. The fact that you had, you know, poor Augustine go down. The, you know, the fact that you had one game where you had him out. You had Marvell Tell and uh, Cameron Smith all out. You know, those three guys at the same time. The fact that you have all the safeties get injured at the end of the season. Like it seemed like you at least have one guy back. No, you had everybody injured. The fact that the safety injuries continue to pile up. But then you have a you know your nickel back where. You thought you were super deep at the nickelback spot, and then you end up like, okay, well, we got to move Chase Williams back there uh, for for this game uh, for part of it because you know of how many injuries they had there. So I, I think they're just dealing with all those injuries. I was like, how how you know how'd you kind of take this season with all that? You know, it had to be kind of devastating dealing with that, and kind of I would think I would be like, man, it's kind of a woe is me mentality because it just seems like everything's piling on top, piling on top. But I asked Christian Rector about it. He's like, no, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic about the future. 
because you've seen those guys get in there and those guys make plays. You know, you see Pally and Itiote when he got his opportunities, he got in there and made some plays. You saw Jordan Millen, you saw Chase Williams, those guys. You saw Marquis Step on the other side. You know, he had a couple carries, but you know, he got in there and he, he made the most of them. So you saw opportunities taken by young guys. And I, I think the players came away from that game. You know, they were devastated that they weren't going to a bowl game, especially the seniors. You know, they were upset about it. But I think they came away going we got some talent here. We If we could put things together, now that becomes the issue. And that's what we'll talk about and heard it. That's what we'll talk about in some stock down. But there's talent there. And what we've been saying, I, I don't know where the people come up with the question, like, I just don't think USC's talent's good enough. I, I don't know what the hell you're seeing then. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know. Some spice. I don't know, because there's talent everywhere. They yeah. just got to be put in the right places and you know developed. I, I think that's a big thing. You see that yes. the freshmen can make plays now. In three or four years, will those freshmen be making that many more plays? Uh, the guys that are freshmen this year, do you, do you see them continue to make bigger and bigger plays? That's the question. Yeah, the progress and the growth over the course of a career at USC is what really uh, depends on coaching. You also had to stock up on some – I'm going to let you take it. We both had it, but you take it. Clancy Pendergast, uh, the defense coordinator, because he's coming back. So stock up for him when there was questions about it. Uh, but it seems that they have solidified that, that he will be back from the sounds of things. And you see that he's coming back, so that's another year in the system for those guys. So Clancy Pendergast being back is a positive for him, obviously. Uh, but I, I think that this defense can be really good. Again, you gotta you got to rotate guys, and they did some of that. They did some of that. I've actually got that on my stock down, too. Freshman playing time might take a dip, though, because – when they put a freshman in there, Abdul Malik McLean, they put him in, in a pass rush situation. He made a mistake, gave up the long touchdown that ended up being the final score for Notre Dame, which ends up being the difference in the game. So that those are the things where you're you're kind of you're going back and forth. How much can we play somebody? How much Malik Abdul Malik McLean? I think played two or three snaps in the game, Oof. and that was one of them. Oof. So you say, well, you can get a freshman in there. You can get him in there for four or five plays. That's what I always say. Like, yeah, Levi Jones could have played four or five snaps a game last year. Pally and Itiote could have played four or five snaps this year. But if they make a mistake on one of those plays and it goes the distance, now you're going, why'd you why'd you have a freshman in at that point? Why why was Abdul Malik McLean in there? Why did you not have Hunter Eccles or uh, you know somebody else on the edge? Why is Jordan Iasefa not playing every snap, which he did last week, and Christian Rector did it last week against UCLA. They played every single snap, if I remember correctly, off, off the top of my head. Whereas this week, Hunter Echols got a couple snaps. Kanaya Malga got one snap, I think. Abdul Malik McClain got a couple of snaps. So now you go, well, why'd you take the veterans off the field? The veterans wouldn't have given up that touchdown, would they? You never know. But so that's the, I mean, that's the catch-22 when yeah. saying, well, we've got to play more freshmen. Because when you do and they give a big touchdown, it's a low-scoring game, big touchdowns matter. The other touchdown, long touchdown run, might be on Pali and Itiote. He came a little bit far inside. They did some different things. Notre Dame did, switched up their scheme uh, to, to pull some guys in the second half and the early touchdown run. He took a little bit of, uh, he went to a little bit too far inside and then uh, Jenny Harris over the top took a bad angle. He slipped and he was gone after that. Um, so you look at it and if you want to, you could put blame on the two freshmen. I don't think you, you necessarily have to say, oh, let's blame those guys, but. If you're the defensive coordinator and you're apt to not play a bunch of young guys because you want guys to be in their assignments correctly, that's who you're going to blame. So we'll see if uh, if it changes next year. If, if Clancy does end up uh, staying with USC throughout the offseason into next season, if those freshmen start playing more, if that's going to be a directive, that's what they talked about all season, playing more guys. They did some. Also, it forced their hand that they did. They Their hand was forced to an yes. extent, but – they played more young guys than they did in the past, definitely this year, with that, even without the injuries. I'm gonna, I'll, at the end of the season, uh, well, it is the end of the season, but at the end of the actual college football season, I will be tallying up you know, the first-team snaps and when guys would have been in there, you know, how much they actually rotated different positions. We'll see the, the totality of it, but the, I remember the first game, they had you know, better numbers the first game than they did all in the last two years under Clancy Pendergast. So we'll see how much that continued throughout the entire season. But they did rotate more. We'll see if that continues, if it even gets a you know a higher percentage in the future. Well, speaking of Clancy Pendergrass, we actually have a first, a voicemail left for us. Thank you very much. Uh, let's take a listen. Hey, guys. This is uh, Jeff, class of 1994. Uh, this question is for Shotgun. Shotgun, I uh, really respect your opinions, and I love your analytical uh, mindset when it comes to uh, some of these questions. But uh, my concern is, well, we already heard that uh, Clay – 
Helton's going to be retained for next year. And, and I can get behind that. I will go ahead and support the team. What I cannot get behind is the fact that it sounds like he is keeping uh, Clancy Pendergast as our defensive coordinator. And I have two major issues about that. Uh, number one, uh, injuries. If, if, if I had a plan to go out there and injure players, the way I would do it is to not have them practice throughout the week, and then come game time, I'd have them play every single damn play in the game. That's exactly what he does. He doesn't take care of our players. Look we did, what he did to poor Augustin. I mean, poor, poor Augustin. Like, he went out there and just drove him into the freaking ground. Uh, I, I know there's been, been a saying, drive it like you stole it. No, you can't drive our players like they stole it. These are our cars that we need to take care of. So cut off. That's Ryan Abraham's fault. Don't don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> he cuts off the long voice notes, but now. we get we get the the gist. Shotgun, let's start it off. What do you think about this? Uh, drive it like you stole. Uh, that's my mom's favorite saying. She she loves Mustang, so she she always drives that way. So that's where I probably get my driving style from. Uh, the the thing is, what kind of cars are these? Are these like old beat down jalopies or these high profile, uh, you know, sports cars? I think if you have a sports car, you get it out there on the road and you, you drive it around and have fun with it. That's what you do with five star players. You give them an opportunity, you throw them in there, you, you play them, uh, and, and get those things. The, the the question about the injuries and not practicing them during the week and then playing them every game on the weekend is that really on Clancy Pendergast though? I don't think that is because that comes with from the head coach that comes from a top of what kind of practices are we going to have? How physical are you going to be during the practices? And this is something that came up a lot during the season because there were a lot of injuries. A lot. You would know, right? Yeah, I've been tr- tracking that too. A lot of injuries on, on the team. Um, and, you know, they had, got, they had days where they had 15, 20, 25 guys out for certain games. Um, so, when that happens, there's going to be a lot of questions about the strength and conditioning and then also the way you've gone about your practices. And I think if you were more physical in practice, now you might lose a guy or two in, in practice for a couple weeks or you might get a break a bone or something. That might happen. And you have to try to balance that. But I think you would also be more prepared for the bumps and bruises of a 12-game season and being prepared, preparing your body. If you, if you allow the body to adjust to something enough, then the body will adjust. Just like my random sleep schedule where I I average four and a half to five hours of sleep during parts of the season, the body will adjust to it. A little caffeine gives it a little boost. Hey, that helps out. But I I, I just think that you have to prepare like you're going to play, and they don't do that. So if you practice and you go in two-hand touch and you thud every once in a while, they don't even really thud all that much. But you thud every once in a while, then you get in the game and, oh, you're going to two-hand touch and you're going to thud a little bit every once in a while. And then you're going to be banged up from some injuries. But I just think there's a lot of things that, that go above Clancy on, on that decision. I don't think you can blame him for the hey, the secondary. All the safeties got hurt. So is that Clancy Pendergast's fault? I don't think so. Yeah, I wouldn't agree that it's Clancy's fault, especially when you're talking about poor Augustine, who has a history of pushing it himself and being that guy who... I mean, he learned from it kind of this season, but last season he was like, I can do it. I can do it. It doesn't matter. Put me in there and then look what happens. And I don't necessarily know if that's on Clancy, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's on Clancy. And I'm still mad about the the whole situation with him being left on the field. Uh, Yeah, that was just messed up. Still, that's a stock down on the season. We can do that. We can do a post-mortem. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll, once, award we'll, show. We can wear our little fancy outfits <laughs> that you won't be able to see because it's a podcast. Maybe we'll take a picture and put it beside. Do you have anything <laughs> else on stock up? No, I'm done with stock up. I've already moved to stock down. Oh, Talk hold about on. the freshman playing time before we get to stock down. Oh, we have a special stock neutral. I actually oh don't have God. anything. Shush! I don't have anything stock neutral, but I got to give a special shout out to John Basalone who sent me a shirt that says "stock neutral." He made me it. It's very nice. MVP of the pod. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. Moving on. John, thanks for supporting us. Just don't support these (laughs) awful notions. I've said it from the beginning. Stock neutral nation. There's no such thing as stock neutral. Moving on to stock down. stock doesn't move. It just doesn't move. Moving on to stock down. Shotgun, who you got? I already said freshman playing time. I'm also going to say the Western Kentucky offense. I don't know how many tweets I've got about that this year. This stupid Western Kentucky offense. Well, look. There's nobody left from Western Kentucky. The Western Kentucky offense is back at Western Kentucky, actually. So Tyson Hilton, who went to 
Uh, the University of Tennessee this past year as their offense coordinator took over the head coaching job. He brought uh, Brian Ellis along with him. I think Brian Ellis is going to be the offense coordinator there, so that will be a true Western Kentucky offense with two former. So uh, I wonder if they start struggling and people are going to be like, "I don't I, get rid of this this USC offense." The funny thing though <laughs> is I was reading a Tennessee article about uh, Tyson Helton and the offense that he brought to Tennessee, and it literally said. The run game struggled to get anything going, and the passing game was essentially throwing up a 50-50 ball and seeing who comes down with it. And I was like, hmm, what does that sound like? Seems like we've seen that before. Maybe. In a different color. Not orange, but maybe cardinal and gold? Maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so the Western Kentucky offense is gone, so please stop tweeting at me about that. (laughs) Or just keep tweeting. (laughs) Or that Clay Helton is a Western Kentucky head coach. He never coached there. That was his brother. That was Brian Ellis. That was Neil Calloway. He never actually coached there. If you want to go back and look at his resume, it does not include Western Kentucky. I had stocked down on recruiting um, in the sense that you get rid of T. Martin and KU, especially T. Martin, who was like an institution of recruiting for USC, Ooh. put the team on his back. You're gonna, you get rid of those guys. I'm curious who you replace them with because you're going to have to fill in a huge role of recruiting. And T. Martin... Who knows where he will go, but he has a Rolodex, you know, as far as recruiting goes. So I'm just curious. Early signing day is approaching, November, uh, December 19th. You get rid of T. Martin. What's your backup plan? That that tells me you you want to make moves quickly, though, on these positions that you've just eliminated. Because if you don't, you're, you're I mean, you see in the pictures of, of players with their in-home visits with coaching staff and stuff, and you're seeing – some assistance to the assistants. I mean, you're, you're seeing Gavin Morris out there, and Gavin Morris is, Gerard likes to call him a recruiting ninja, and he is. <laughs> he, he's great with the kids. But you're seeing today you had um, uh, Joe DeForest was at, in, in one. And Michael he, Hutchings out the call. Michael Hutchings, uh, Lenny uh, Vendaway, Amanda May. I, I can't remember. Vander Yeah. Not, I can't remember how to say his last <laughs> name. But but Lenny was out there on, on the recruiting path too. And these are guys that, like, that aren't – names or aren't faces that you put with the staff when they're talking about in the broadcast those guys aren't getting brought up I mean uh, those are the guys that are helping out those are the assistants to positions now they're getting thrown into those spots so you want to get you want to make some hires as quickly as you can so that you can start selling what your new hires can do for that position group with, with whoever you're bringing in now, if you bring in a new offense coordinator, that alleviates a lot of the, the concerns there on the offensive side. Even though you don't have a receivers coach, you don't truly have an offensive line coach unless you make that distinction. Uh, you don't. So right now you, you technically have a running backs coach in Tim Drevno and a run game coordinator, and you have a tight ends coach and inside receivers in Kerry Colbert. So if you, you hire the offense coordinator, that helps you out with the quarterbacks, that helps you out with the receivers because now they know what kind of offense you're running, especially if it's in – you know, a, a high-powered offense, prolific as Cliff Kingsbury's offense has been. If he's the guy, then that tells you a lot. That tells a lot to the offensive recruits. They know what's going on. The offensive linemen know what's going to be happening with them, that type of thing. So I, I think that's the first key, but then you go to the other ones. Defense line is a big question mark. they got to go get somebody. they got to figure out, you know, who's going to – now, who fills in? It's Clay Helton, actually. Now, Clay Helton is – recruits more than probably any other head coach out there at a power five, you know, powerhouse like USC. He goes out and recruits just as much as, as some of the assistant coaches, some more than some of the assistant coaches. So uh, I, I think the fact that that helps lessen the burden a little bit on other guys, but also lessens the damage of losing T Martin and connecting you Daisy at the same time. Yeah, I would agree. Stock down. You got I'm done. Oh wow. Okay, I had stock down. I, mean, on- I could do a lot of things from the game and yeah. uh, you know, second half adjustments and, there's a lot yeah, of things. That there's a lot about. of things. I had stocked down on Lynn Swan in the administration. I thought so far Lynn Swan and his ways of communicating with the fan base, it seems it comes off a little condescending and a little bit like, I am the one who knows now sit tight and I'm going to do it, you know, which fans, it kind of rubs in the wrong way. And given the performance that Clay Heldon had in the 2018 season, you can see how they were frustrated. The thing I'm curious about is if you get a splash hire like Cliff Kingsbury and you get uh, you re-up the staff in a way that fans are encouraged about, do you get those people who swore off USC football to come back? And it sounds like the tide could be turning in that direction. Six wins will get them back. If you go start out the season 6-0. I get some back. Well, yeah, I want a pony. That will make me happy. But will that actually happen? You would have been one of those kids that wanted a pony, weren't you? I, How many times did you ask for a pony when we were growing up? I actually didn't. 
Because you already had one, didn't you? <laughs> From Orange County. Of course you did. How dare you? <laughs> no, I, I think that you show investing money and assets in the coordinator position and you know the rest of the the staff, that would say a lot to the the um, to the fan base because it seems like, oh, you didn't want to pay the buyout or you didn't want to because there's a lot of questions about keeping Clay Helton, and some of them are centered around money. So if you go out and invest money into the assistants and the staff and bring on some more support staff. I looked at Clemson's website today. They have 55 members of their staff listed on the site. They have a life coach. His title is life coach. Amazing. I want to be a life coach. I don't know what that entails, but I want to be part of it. It would be nice. It's an, It sounds like a nice job. Yeah. You get free swag. You get to be like, hey, this is what you should do with your life. I think that's what you do. I don't know. <laughs> but, so Clemson has 55 people on their staff. It's interesting that you bring that up because Ryan and I actually talked about this on the Tuesday podcast. It's like It seems like there's this paradox in the administration's thinking of like, we want to be a top team or do they? I don't even know if they do. That's the big question that I have. But they want what comes with being a top team without putting in any resources that come with being a top team. I mean, if you look at recruiting, they're doing a lot of things with such a small staff. They haven't even replaced Alex Rios. You know, it's it's interesting how there's this paradox of we want to be this, but we don't necessarily want to put up, you know? Yeah, and give Clemson credit because they were a team that was an afterthought in the ACC. They are going to be a second or third or fourth team in the conference, maybe even a little bit lower than that. They were kind of second fiddle. You know, they were battling with South Carolina. South Carolina is obviously a lower tier SEC school. They were second fiddle to Georgia because it's not very far away from them. Uh, so, you know, they were they were a team that not many people talked about nationally. Once you left the bubble of the Southeast, nobody's talking about Clemson. Now everybody's talking about Clemson. They're a national program. Dabo Swinney has turned that in, and it's because they've invested the resources back into the program. I, mean, I don't know. I think it was Gerard who told the story about how – you know, USC's weight room in the Pete Carroll era. That's a Ryan story. Ryan Abraham He told story. it on the podcast. Yeah, too. so he told the story about how, you know, they had no, the, the weight room was nothing spectacular, it was nothing special at all. And then they said, well, if you win a championship, we'll get it for you. They, they won it, they didn't get him anything. And then eventually they, they won a national championship and they said, he's like, well, where, where's the new equipment now? It's like, well, you won a national championship. Why do you need anything now? Exactly. You've already proved that you can do it. That's what it feels like the mentality is with USC a lot of times. Now, they built Heritage Hall. They built it up. They built up uh, the McKay Center. You know, they've done some nice things with it, but it, it just feels like the, the school is lagging behind when you – it's not just a, a, uh, a building's assets type of thing now. You know, there was the big run. Everyone had to get a new facility, a new – you know, it's not the, just facilities. It's staff. Staff is a huge thing right now, especially recruiting – you know, if Clemson, you know, when they made their title runs the last couple of years, they'll do specials on it. And there's a full blown staff of people, interns or whatever they are, not even part of the 55, 55 people that are mailing out stuff to each individual recruit and, you know, writing individual stuff and doing all this stuff extra that USC's not anywhere close to. So are you going to put up and shut up? Put up or shut up? One of the two. Yes. You know, put up the money, invest in it, or shut up and say we're not a national power anymore. And that's why I feel like they're kind of both feeder in both on on a dock and on a boat. You know, the boat is like, hey, we're a national championship. The dock is like, eh, we're kind of where we are. You know, and <laughs> and they don't want to admit either or. You know, they're kind of in the middle of like, oh, we are what we are, and resting on tradition and what they have been. Yeah, fans want to sell off, in, sell off into the uh, the sunset on that boat, and the administration is like, "Ah, oh, well, let's just stay here. We're good. Well, we're comfortable what? with what And then we all have. of a sudden, you fall in the water. Yeah, exactly. Boom, join an and you go well done. Five and seven. Yep. Whoopsie. Whoops. Yeah. I also had stock down on the postseason. No postseason, but I feel like the way this season went, I think it was a good thing for everyone involved that this just ended where it did. Yeah, that's a stock up for us, though. I, I book flights. <laughs> I'm going to, to Christmas and stuff, man. I know. My mom was like, do you actually get to come and like pick out the Christmas tree with us? And I was like, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> I don't know what this is like. So I'm excited. Well, my family asked me that. I was like, no, I still got to work. I got to work. I got to work a lot. And then I went with somebody else's family. So. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Spilling the truth. <laughs> Moving on to hurt it. I don't want my family to get expectations that I'm going to hang out with them on, <laughs> around Christmas. Come on now. Wow. Okay. It's such a family spirit on the Family Shoot podcast. That's true. 
Heard it. It's a feuding family. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm really living <laughs> up to the name. Heard it. What do you got? Uh, first off, on the Notre Dame sideline, I, you know, because I'd roam around during the game, uh, I was over by some former Irish players, and Iman Marshall gets the pass interference call in the third quarter, I believe it was, and I barely could see the play because there's a bunch of people blocking me. Then I saw the replay, and I was like, oh, my God, they called that a pass interference? And Biggie was really upset about it. He, he was uh, complaining to the referee. And one of the, one of the former players is like, it's good because there have been several replays and there have been a replay not a couple plays before that. They're like, it's a good thing they can't overturn that one. And he was just laughing about it because they saw that it was not a penalty. And these were these were ACC referees, so you expect them not to get caught up in the Pac-12 mentality, but apparently they did. <laughs> I had um, – usually USC does a pregame and a halftime interview with Clay Helton and they put it on the screen, and they didn't. Now, granted, they did have senior night, so that does eat into some time. So they didn't have any of the interviews, but they did have the like season farewell message on the big board. And they had players at first saying thank you, Trojans. And then they put on Clay Helton and it was just booze, loud booze. That was like more like a cow. (laughs) Loud booze. And granted, some of that. (laughs) Now we're in like ghost territory. Just stopped. I'm just booing you now. Stop. <laughs> See, now you know how it feels. It's horrible. But granted, the booze, a lot of the booze were coming from the student section. I feel like little boo, whatever. Ooh. But you can't even put Clay Helton on the screen without him getting booed by his own fan base, which makes me really curious going forward. What's that going to be like next season? Is it Are people going to kind of turn it around and be like, oh, okay, we'll accept him. He made some good offseason moves if he does. Or is it going to be hostile environment in your own house as head coach? And... You know, since you're talking about the student section booing uh, Clay Helton, and you know there was a fire Helton chant that broke out uh, from the student section, it was actually joined by a couple of the song girls. Uh, which you know, I, I tweeted out this and on uh, another tweet that said, you know, one of the song girls when JT Daniels threw a pass away, he's like, I hope he has no friends. I hope JT has no friends. And I was just like, why would you wish that upon someone for one? Why would you wish that upon your starting quarterback for two? And what is your deal with JT? I don't know. Uh, but you know the fact that they're the song girls who are generally pretty knowledgeable about the team. I know that you know people may get the bad rep that cheerleaders don't know anything. Well, song girls aren't actually cheerleaders. They're dancers who dance the whole freaking game. It's crazy. I was in front of them for the UCLA game, and like I could hear every time they started dancing. And that was the first time that I fully got the full picture. Like they are just doing a marathon during the whole game. Oh yeah, and it's before the game. It's after the, the whole. You know, so what is it? What they call it after the game? Whatever the players walk up with the the sword and everything. That part. Yeah, that part. Whatever that part is. I'm terrible with, with naming things. Um, but during that whole thing, they're dan- they're dancing the entire time during that when the band's playing. So I did a we did a skit when I was at USC in grad school with them and practice with them and like practice for an hour with them and it's it's ridiculously hard. I was out way out of too much out of shape to be doing it. Uh, but so you know I, I just want to say that because they're super active, they're super into the game, they're they're the really tough job for them. Uh, you know, to be doing that throughout the entire game. But they're like I said, they're super into the game because they travel with the team. You know, they you know they travel to every game, so they get to know the players, all that type of stuff. They're there for the pep rallies, all that. And for them being a representative of the university and one of the you know the biggest representatives on a national scale. You know, the song girls are a, a national icon. I guess is not. I don't know. If that's the word I want to use. Symbol. Symbol. Yeah, a symbol of the school. Um, and for them to basically have, you know, to be joining in the fire Helton chant and then to be saying stuff about the starting quarterback, that shows you how much this team has lost the fan base and particularly the students that your student section and your song girls, which are your representative, are both uh, saying negative things about it. Yeah, they even know the inner workings during the UCLA game. They were like, why isn't Brett in the game? Brett Nealon needs to be in the game. Oh, Toa. Oh. So it's just funny how they know the inner workings um, like any other fan would. Uh, but my final heard it was Cam Smith's comments after the Notre Dame game. Um, I thought it was very interesting because he's not one to really throw people or things under the bus but he was very candid in this interview and that tends to happen when it's your last real interview as a Trojan um I've said this before and if you haven't watched it just go watch it because it's really enlightening but he essentially said that there's commitment issues on the team you know Cam Smith is the type of guy who in the way he speaks and the way he plays you know that he's all in you know that he's really committed to the team and the outcome 
And he said that he didn't feel like they really had that this year, that there are players who didn't really give a full effort. He said in LA, it's easy to get distracted and that's what happened. Um, I had heard from someone else after those comments uh, that Cam Smith got tired of being the babysitter of the team. You know, he, he, cause I, I had posted this and people were like, well, he's a captain. Why didn't Cam Smith get the team together? And it's like, he can only do so much. And if you listen to the interview, he sounds exasperated. You know, he put his heart and soul out there and then you're not getting a whole commitment from your team. Um, and I had asked him like, how much strain did it put on the defense when you didn't have an offense that was consistent? And he said like, it was definitely different this year. He said, in the past couple of years, if our, de- our offense had to get a third down, I knew we would get it. And that gave us momentum on defense. He was like, I don't think people really realize in college, momentum of the offense gives so much life to the defense. He was like, we're just 18, 20, 21-year-olds. We're not doing this as a profession. We thrive off that energy. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Um, it's just, I think it is a concern going forward if you have your senior captain saying that there's commitment issues and buy-in issues. Um, I think that as far as the culture that Lynn Swan talked about, that's something that's definitely in the culture. How do you get guys to focus and buy in? If you're at USC, why aren't you giving as much as you can to play? You know, I understand these are teenagers and that it's not a profession, but at the same time, I think that hearing from Cam and how exasperated he is, that's an issue. And that's something that needs to be addressed going forward. And Cam Smith said it starts Monday. You know, he was saying this on a Saturday and he said the offseason work starts Monday. So I'm curious what they take from that. I know you also talked to a player who had something of the same message. Yeah, I talked to Austin Jackson, you know, one of the the sophomore left tackle who, you know, the offensive line is going to lose Chris Brown. Talked to Chris Brown after the game as well. And he said, you know, the interesting thing he said was that basically it was a continuation of what had happened all season, you know. They would be rolling, they'd be rolling, penalty happens. They'd be rolling, they'd be rolling the fumbles this this game. So, you know, it, it just he said it was bittersweet because he was happy that his career was, it was uh, you know, that he got an opportunity to do the whole senior night thing and everything. He wished it went better, but he's happy, excited for the next chapter in his life. So that was what Chris Brown said. But Austin Jackson afterwards talked about, you know, that the team needs a little culture shock is what he said. He said they got to be honed in on those little things and make sure they do everything right. Uh, he's, he felt like the the little things are what hurt them, and again, similar to what Chris Brown was saying in that regard. And when I asked him, well, what do you need for there to be the culture shock? What do you have to do? And he said he thinks that there, there's a lot of guys, a lot of leaders in his class, and he's took it upon himself that he wanted to be a part of it. Um, so he said that he was looking forward to getting to work, getting better, getting a lot of better. Uh, and making sure everyone else gets better. So I think he's taking it upon himself that he wants to be a leader in that group. And, and maybe that offensive line with Chris Brown and Toa Lomondon are two, you know, two guys that are more reserved. Maybe they needed that leader. We talked about it, you know, several times about how the offense needed someone to stand up and be, a, you know, a little bit louder, be a loud mouth a little bit. And maybe Austin Jackson's the guy that's going to take the, that mantle. But it, you see that guys are saying we need a change and we need it. So the players recognize that there's issues. And Do all of them recognize? That's that, the big question. The ones are playing, <laughs> at least. So, I mean, that's the ones we were talking to, the ones they're playing. Uh, and, you know, he was asked about going to five and seven. He's, he said, no, I never would have thought of it. I, I came here to win championships. And that's the attitude I'm trying to take into the offseason workouts. So we'll see how it changes. And JT Daniels, his freshman quarterback, you know, he was asked – you know about being five and seven. He said it's tough. You know they they lost by one score in the last their four last four losses were by one score. So you know you can look at that and you turn that around and suddenly you're what nine and nine and five instead of uh or yeah nine and three. Math is hard. <laughs> yeah, nine and three. If you win all four of those games, uh, and you would have won the Arizona State game if those three guys were healthy, which as I've said several times, which is a completely different feel and look to the season. Oh yeah, nine and Without three versus five and seven. <laughs> yeah. huge, huge. And you know, two two of those were touchdown games, the you know UCLA and Notre Dame, but the other ones were what one point game to Arizona State or three point game to Arizona State and one point to um, who am I blanking on here? Cal, Cal. yeah, fifteen fourteen. So and those were all opportunities in the second half. Those last three games that you lost, you had one touchdown in the second half, and that came with one minute left to get you to a one score game. So. It was all about adjustments there. And, you know, JT Daniels was asked about the banner flying over. I thought it was interesting what he said. He said, it's stupid. Yeah, but he's already set, proved that he will be a loyal Hilton defender. So 
Yeah, I mean, he said you can't blame Coach for the fumbles. You can't blame him. I mean, you can't blame Helton for JT overthrowing Michael Pittman in the back of the end zone. That would have been a touchdown as well. Um, so he, but he said me personally, like I would blame Jake Olson's dog before I blame the coach for the loss. Which is, <laughs> I don't even know what to take with that. But nobody can blame Quebec, which yeah. which is saying how much he would defend the coach. Put some respect on Quebec. <laughs> I saw I saw those the memes page on USC. Uh, If you're not a member, check it out. I'm not a member, (laughs) but I make frequent appearances. Apparently, apparently, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks to everyone on the memes page who watches or who goes to uscfootball.com. No, but here's the thing: now that we're talking about culture, I think there is a real culture problem. I think there's a pretty boy culture problem, and I'm going there. Wait, David Melstrom's gone. But here's the thing, like if no one knows, David Melstrom was the ultimate pretty boy because he's now a uh, model. Wow, look at that! The, I'm laughing because there was some like Twitter thing, like girl posts that was like, "Haven't you seen this? It's David Melstrom, Connor Spears, and, like I think someone else, and they're posing oh, on the yeah. sideline, and everyone's like, if that's what USC's players look like, I'm a USC fan.' And it's like, ugh, I just rolled my eyes when I saw it. Anyway, moving on, <laughs> pretty boy culture in the sense that. They dance before the fourth quarter starts at the UCLA game, and then they lose. You know, there has been this culture where, I mean, Cam Smith said they don't take it personally. Like, if we get run over, people don't take it personally. In the middle, I go back to this a lot. Coming before, coming out of the half at Alabama, uh, at the Alabama game in Texas, a player wanted a selfie in the tunnel. And like brought his phone out. It's just like things like that where it's just, yeah, I've told you this before. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. He, he They're like getting trashed by Alabama and they want a selfie in the tunnel to look cool. Like it's like the culture of I want to look cool. I want to play football. But do I, does it really matter if we lose? Uh, I don't know. You know, I feel like and I don't know if I'm just being get off my lawn and being like, you need to care more. But I also think that that needs to happen. And I mean, you hear that from Cam Smith. What if? Clay Helton said everyone had to get rid of their Instagram profiles. Whoa. I mean, wasn't there a coach that was like no social media for the whole season? Yeah, and they got banged for it. <laughs> I I don't know. I And that's the thing. How do you get guys to buy in? How do you really have the team experience where you're bonded and you're, and you're going for one goal together? You know, a team chemistry is always a weird thing that I don't think everyone has fully figured out. And team chemistry is always a difficult thing, especially when you have 100 players. Yes. Because there's always going to be little clicks. There's going to be, you know, whether it's position groups, whether it's by race, whether it's by economic status, whatever it is, there's going to be little tiny clicks in everything. Where where there's, where you're from, if you're the Florida guys will hang out with the Florida guys, you know, that type of thing. Uh, so how do you get all those groups to buy in together? That's the thing as being a head coach. It's not X's and O's. X's and O's would definitely help USC especially when your head coach is becoming your offense coordinator halfway through the season. That makes X's and O's are real huge. But as the head coach, your biggest thing shouldn't be X's and O's. That should be on your coordinators. They should be ones leading that charge. The biggest thing for head coach is getting everyone on the same page, everyone to buy in, making sure you don't have the off-field issues, making sure you don't have the distractions, making sure that everyone knows what you're doing in every game, making sure you get 11 players on the field at all times. Those type of things are on the head coach. It all starts with the top, and that's the culture you're trying to build. And that's why I think in Lynn Swan's message you say, hey, we have culture issues. That's a big part of it. There's things that the culture's not there. They're not all on the same page. It makes you wonder, are these guys hanging out with each other off the field? Are these guys, you know, when it's Thanksgiving break or Christmas break now and they have an opportunity, well, they're going to get to go home. Are players going back with each other to their homes? Or is it like, okay, I'm going here, I'm going here, I'm going here. Everyone's off split everywhere else. Or is it your little pockets of people going together? Like, of course, you're going to have friend groups. That happens in any team where you have, you know, when you have more than five people, you're going to have you know, some pockets of people, but how does the whole group come together? And I don't think this USC team necessarily has. And I think there's been some issues there with that type of thing. I don't think you're having like, you're not having the locker room brawls and stuff between, you know, warring factions or something. But uh, I think that there are some issues where they're not all together. And, you know, that's where those things that people make fun of all the time, you know, the laser tag that USC has or the fact that they get ice cream in, in, uh, or shaved ice during 
training camp. People want to make fun of that all the time on our message board. Those are the type of things that bring people together. Yeah. Now, they can't become routine. The fact that they know they're getting shaved ice once every camp is, is dumb. You know, the, the, when you bring in the the laser tag and stuff, like that, I think that's a cool idea. I think it's something that brings the guys together. And you make it a competition, it makes it even more fun like that. But I, I think that, that part of the issue is that they haven't found a way to get the whole group together. Those are just side side activities. It's not a bonding thing from this group. And, and that's where the biggest issue is coming from with the culture is you're not getting everybody on the same page. In that sense, I'm going to transition us to agree-disagree. You cannot have a true culture change without firing Clay Helton. I don't. I don't think you can. Yeah, I think it starts with your head coach, and you got to work your way down. Now, if the athletic director becomes more involved, more Pat Hayden, like Pat Hayden, the the culture was starting with him and working its way down. Whereas Lynn Swan's a little bit farther removed from the team, it feels like. So, unless you get rid of the, you know, it's the cut the head off the snake type of thing. Unless you cut the head off then your, your culture is going to stay the same. Now, if he comes back and he's completely changed, he does something different, I don't know. If he goes and has a revival in Uganda or something, I don't know. Whatever changes him to be a different person, and he comes back with more fire or more or less fire, whatever he has to do to be different, then I think he can. But I, I think that the players are going to expect the same thing, and you know, you, then you're going with insanity. Are you, you're expecting the same thing. So it becomes – you can push the – burden off to other people do your coordinators you know do they say hey we got something's got to change here and they are more and I think Clay would let his coordinators or his position coaches be more demonstrative or whatever needs to be done uh so I I think it can be done but it would be really difficult do you think Clay Hilton could take over more of a CEO role and give I know he gives Clancy a lot of a lot of leeway, say if they get Cliff or something, they give him a lot of leeway and he becomes more of the managerial type umbrella guy versus hands-on in the offense. I think that would, I mean, I think that's the way you can you can do it because then you, you know, how many times if you're working in a desk job, do you see the CEO in a company? When you get hired or whatever, you might say, oh yeah, you say, oh yeah, that's our CEO when he comes in the first time. But, you know, if, if Clay Helton takes that step away, then it becomes the culture in the office that it, that is uh what is determining everything versus the CEO determining it. So yeah, that, that would actually be probably the one way if he kind of steps back away from it a little bit in that regard. It'd be interesting to see what he does given the coordinating options that will occur. Uh, we have a submission from Michael who says timeout management hasn't been an issue this year because outside of the ASU and Cal losses, the rest of the losses have been blowouts. If you, if you lose the uh, Cal game, when, if you, you know, have an extra timeout, would it give you an extra stop? Then, yeah, it's still an issue. Yeah, I think it's an issue. If you wasted a timeout and you lose a game by one point, it's still an issue. I think it's an issue. Of it's less of an issue. Less of an issue. Yeah. Yeah, less of an issue. Maybe. Because there were sometimes last year they were just burning me like, what are they? Why are they burning it? How many times do they burn on second down when they're not on the same page? I feel like a lot. Yes, but a lot of times it's like the clock is running down. Like last year, I felt like there would be times that like, okay, I just don't know what play we're going to run. We're just going to call. I'm like, what? What are you calling timeout for now? Yeah, I, I feel know. like there was less. Now maybe that's just complete. You know, the feeling of it uh, rather than the actuality. But I think that they had a little bit better control on it. Um, but I now think maybe, it also speaks to the lack of preparation overall. Oh yeah, still agree, disagree. Firing T Martin will come back to haunt USC. Agree because you didn't have to. If you're going to leave. If you decided that you went to want to go the Notre Dame route, you fire everybody, fine. But if you're going to leave around half the staff, and if he was going to take the demotion back to receivers like we had heard, then why would you not? He's a dynamic recruiter. He's a good wide receivers coach. I don't know why you would keep him. I mean, what wouldn't keep him? I, I'm curious if we ever get the, the real reason behind that. Maybe it's a, a pay demotion versus a title. Like Maybe he was fine with taking a title demotion, maybe not pay. I don't know. But I, I, I think it will money. come back. It will come back to haunt them, I think. I ain't taking less money. I know you aren't. <laughs> I need a raise. <laughs> we got to tell Ryan when he gets here. Uh, maybe we just look at him right now. Uh, <laughs> agree, disagree, hiring Cliff Kingsbury will be the change that USC needs. It's the change USC wants, that's for sure. Uh, yes, I think it will. Because the offense was the biggest issue this year. The fact that they couldn't make adjustments in the second half of the season, in the second half of games. Uh, the fact that you went three games that you lost by one score or by 15 combined points and you scored one touchdown in the second half and that was the last minute of the season? Yeah, I think so. 
Because like we just said, if you win those close games, it's nine and three season versus a five and seven season. Completely different. Completely different. Yeah. In that sense. And I think they would score a couple more points if Cliff Kingsbury ends up being the offensive coordinator. Just a little bit. Just Utilize maybe. those wide receivers. Uh, wide receivers, tight ends are tight ends a thing. I don't know. I don't care. I usually I'm a wide receiver. I was a wide receiver, so I want you to utilize all the wide receivers. If you're playing Family Feud Bingo, check off Shotgun <laughs> uses his wide receiver high school days. Finally, it was the right move to keep Clancy Pendergast. Agree, disagree. Oh, now you put me on the spot. Yep, because I love Clancy. Uh, I love chatting with him and talking about uh, schematics and things. I do not think it was the right move, though, because I think you needed to clean house and completely, you know, start afresh. Um, you know, change the culture in that regard. After a five and seven season, I've said before that five and seven at USC is a fireable offense. That means anybody and everybody can and should be fired. Um, so, if you're not going to fire the head coach, then I think that means both the coordinators should be going, and you got to start over now. If if they were dead last in the world in every offensive category and were 30th in the country in every defense category and that might be different but when you start when you go five and seven at a school that's had three losing seasons in 55 years then everybody should be fired how but how much of that is the defense though defense's fault given injuries if you have an offense that scores just a little bit more oh no i think clancy does a good job and i think the fact that the they had the injuries they had were were definitely problematic with it i'm not saying firing clancy just because of his schematics i'm just saying if you go five and seven, that's a fire level offense. And if you're going to say, oh, we're going to go the Notre Dame route and we can turn things around like them, then you should be acting like them and what they did and firing everyone. Yeah, I would agree. I, it's, On just straight merit, no, I would keep Clancy because, one, I like to talk to him. <laughs> Once again. That's good merit. It's all about you. It's all about you. Of course it is. Yeah, I, I'm kind of a low-key Clancy apologist. I don't think he was the real issue this season. As, as Ryan likes to say, you know, the offense looked like there was no cohesion, nothing going on with his defense. Looked like they had a they plan. They had at least. a scheme at least, like a plan, adjustment. And now the, the thing with Clancy Pendergast is when he comes in with a game plan, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Yeah. So then you get the you know the tarmac game where you gave up sixty three points to Arizona State. You, you give up some big points. Now some of the the huge runs that USC gave up this year, thirty five point runs to Texas and, and Utah. That's not all on the defense. And no. the, the offense could help them out a lot, but there are times when the, when the scheme's not working, it just does not work at all. Yeah, I would agree. But it's it's interesting to see what happens going forward. I, we kind of had the feel that they're done making firings, which is an interesting picking and choosing of who you fired. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what that does to the overall culture. If culture was really something that you wanted to change, did you really go about it well by picking and choosing guys that I don't think were really an issue? I don't think KU was an issue culture-wise. I think his position group was always together. During player run practices in the summer, they were the group that had it together, had a game plan, and took it seriously. You know, So I'm curious how that all goes to the bigger picture. But We'll see how it all works out. We will still, see. There still could be plenty of movings. You never know. You know, yeah. Someone comes available on the market that... Lynn Swan's in love with as a defense coordinator. Clancy Pendergast could still be, you know, given the boot. True. You never know. Stay tuned, I guess. Uh, we have a question. And because it's you, the USC beat, it, you know, every day there could be something. It never stops. Uh, we have a question from JJ Class of 1990. He says, if you watch the film before the 55-yard run in the UCLA game, Chip makes the call, turns, and smiles, almost like he knew that he had control of the outcome of the play and game. Have you ever seen Clay Helton exude confidence like that, or does he always have that look of concern on his face? Have you ever seen true confidence coming from Clay on the sideline? Uh, I'm trying to. I'm thrown off by the question because I'm trying to think back to the play because it, it feels like it was so long ago. Uh, I do remember on the broadcast he, him looking over and smiling or whatever, but I, I don't think that was related to the play call and necessarily thinking like, "Yeah, that's a touchdown." <laughs> Though I think Chip Kelly would definitely be the type to do that. But like, watch this. Watch this. It's going to happen. Uh, no, I don't think that Clay Helton's come out with it. But Clay Helton is very emotional, you know, emotionally involved in the games. When something good happens, he's throwing the fist pumps. He's giving it, yeah, baby, yeah, baby, <laughs> to everyone around. Uh, so I, I think that he's involved like that. Now, do I see him smiling, giving a wink to somebody after a play call comes through the headset? No, I don't think you necessarily see that. But We're also not watching for that all the time. How are we supposed to really, unless we see on the broadcast. You don't have not. a clay cam? 
clay cam. I did towards the end because I was like, if we need footage of him after he's fired, then yes. But no, no clay cam. But I mean, clay does have a weird confidence on the sideline, but I don't think it's any like trickeration. I'm going to smile before a play call type of confidence. Yeah. Is that I think I agree with you. Uh, I also, also, if I was calling plays and I knew something was about, like, we're going to run a trick play and I know it's going to work, I'm going to be like, I'm waving over the other sideline. Hey, like, watch hey, this. Watch, watch this. this. Hey. Wink, yeah. wink. <laughs> yeah, that's not the best trickeration mindset. It's um, okay. I'll, I'll do the fake one at a different time during the year. Yeah. When we fake the reverse and then we take it to the house. Sure. I got this, guys. Coach, Coach Shotgun. That's going to wrap it up. Uh, we're kind of in a flux right now. It's Coaching changes are still happening. We don't know. Cliff has not been confirmed yet. I don't believe that's happened while we've been recording. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, any final thoughts before we wrap it up, Shotgun? No, I mean, it's interesting to see how the staffs are reassembled here and if there are any other changes uh, with people who are already on the staff. And, you know, what changes are made with position groups? Because, you know, where is Tim Drevno going to go? Is he going to be the offensive line coach? Is he going to be run game coordinator? Is he going to be over both positions? Are they going to hire a running back? I'm still curious to see how all those things play out and how this team responds. Once we start seeing them doing some workouts and stuff, how is this team responding? Are they, are they going to listen to what they just said after the game? And say, no, it's not the coaches. It's us. we got to do better. We've got to work harder in the offseason. We've got to do those things. Are you going to see those leaders emerge, or is it going to be the same? Yeah, I mean, that's the big questions going forward. But, of course, we will be back next Thursday, hopefully with more certainty of what's happening as far as coaches go. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, with that shotgun, I'm Keely. We'll see you next week.